All right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this special interview with Ed Varnell, and I'm David Lasby. We are uh, colleagues, I guess is the right word, uh, <laughs> at Osrush Games, um, co-enjoyers uh, of video games and <laughs> all things Zelda. Um, for this month at Zelda Dungeon, we were looking to do a bit more in honor of Black History Month. And we specifically wanted to think about the important voices and content from people of color in the gaming community. And so I'm really glad that uh, Ed agreed to do an interview today. And it's a privilege to interview Ed. You're, you're a friend and an accomplished podcast host, a writer. Uh, we, you know, just before the show today, we we're talking about articles that you're writing right now and uh, just an awesome content producer at, at Boss Rush Games. So thanks for, thanks for joining me today, Ed. Thanks for having me. I am truly honored uh, for this moment to have me happening. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. We got some questions for you today um, that we're just excited to hear what you have to say. So um, when did you first get into video games and what has sustained your passion for playing over the years, Ed? So I got into video games started in 1985. There was a place called Aladdin's Castle. Um in my local mall and it was where all these arcade machines and even pinball was at and i would just go in you know my mom would give me a dollar while she's shopping at jc penny <laughs> and i would go in and i would play all these different kinds of games from japan and i just fell in love with it and when my cousin got a nintendo before i got one that's all i could just think about like like learning mario and stuff and we had a atari 2600 at the house um um well uh, apartment at that time and i remember playing pac-man and remember playing this game called war and stuff like that and even mario brothers like nintendo that was the first kind of nintendo game that i played on a different console before they made their own console playing stuff uh so it then do just throughout the years my passion for games has already has like consistently stayed there because reading electronic gaming monthly writing on oneup.com and now meeting different friends and people around the world who has that same passion that for me um it kept me connected to games and it definitely it kind of it, in a sense fix all the problems that i had in the past because i didn't have no one to talk about games with now with social media i have uh so much uh so many lanes to talk about games with and everything so um but yeah that that i guess that's the answer (laughs) so so you mentioned that while your mom was shopping you know at the mall at at jc penny's you you went off to the arcade you know with your dollar uh did you see any other people there regularly that you you got to know or was it kind of just your own thing it was uh, unless it was my brother it was nobody that i knew like the arcade was the place mm-hmm. of that was our online game that was our social media and everything because you regardless of what age you were you were going to be working with somebody or you was going to be challenged by somebody sure. and so your the level of skill play was there mm-hmm. and one would make you better one would make you realize that you know you are definitely out of the league but if you learn and talk to people you will find out um 
how better you can be uh you can become uh, trust me street fighter street <laughs> fighter helped me a lot with that and everything and it was and i never took a loss serious in an arcade game it was always okay when i come back i now know what to do and i will become better it sounds like you took some some life lessons away from that beyond just uh playing at the arcade oh yes yes um uh, yeah because it was it, it was a thing definitely as a kid for me that like I I was smart in school. I was able to feel like be able to handle any challenge in real life at school and stuff. But video games gave me a different kind of challenge that I'm like, okay, I have the skills, but I need to up my skills. I need to, you know, learn from these patterns and stuff because I can I know I got I know I could beat something and get through it. I just need to put in the work to mm-hmm. make the uh make my skills better to overcome the challenge. That's really interesting that you say that, uh, the idea that, you know, yes, you felt smart in school, but this was a different kind of challenge and a way to work hard and feel successful. That actually brings me a little bit into my next question. So um, a 2015 study from Pew Research Center found that 89% of black teens and 69% of Hispanic teens play video games. The highlight, uh, the highest numbers for any demographic. So beyond the fact that video games are so enjoyable, something you and I both agree on, I wonder if there's a deeper significance to these numbers. So in your personal experience, have games played a meaningful role in your life beyond entertainment? Um, And then just, you know, obviously acknowledging that you can't and shouldn't have to speak on behalf of the experiences of others. um, You know, what what do you believe these numbers speak to? I think these numbers kind of speak to finally recognizing that gaming is just not for one particular race it's actually for all and we've been there's been so many people gaming for years in different races um regardless of what neighborhood you lived in you know there was something always there like there's been black fans of role-playing games there's yeah. been hispanic people who like strategy and, and things like that. um there have been women gamers who like first person shooters and stuff um it was just that in the past we didn't have social media or a uh a area or community to express those things you know it was it's the anime bubble in the sense where anime was so low-key that you had to go to different places to pay eighty dollars to get a two episode of Ra- of Rama half and stuff, and it was just like there are so many people who love this stuff that you wish that it was a bigger community and stuff. Now gaming kind of picked up, yes, for two thousand fifteen, but gaming has already been there. You know, I going back to the anime reference, like when it hit actually two thousand, um. It, which is a weird thing. I I have brought my first DVD player and I started getting more anime and everything. And the community for anime just blew. Mm-hmm. You started seeing so many people cosplaying. You start seeing so many people talking about anime. And the same thing happened to games. You started seeing more people doing more than just Mario or Princess Peach doing cosplayers from Fed or Furry, um, doing stuff from Metal Slug, like X S N K. Like no one knows about the SNK history and stuff. So it's it's just like 
the, I think recognizing people from different races uh, in this amount of time uh, that they also love gays. It's just been there. It's been there. It's just the outlet to get that recognition wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I <clears throat> I totally hear what you're saying, and and that definitely raises some questions when I think about representation uh, in social media, um, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, I want to think just about games themselves, though. I I do wonder, and you tell me if I'm off base here, but um, I do wonder how much video games offer an opportunity. Um, to live out some of our ideals here in the United States, this idea of a meritocracy that, you know, hard work gets you, you earn whatever you work hard towards. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned working so hard uh, to be good and to have a skill at those arcade games. And I wonder if uh, video games provide a more neutral setting for people to uh, really be themselves. Um, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that idea? It, I, I think video games allows you to be yourself there's no judgment there's no oh you suck because you got a game over anything it, it's kind of just like this is where you stand at and all you got to do is learn you know put in the work to learn to be better and stuff and i think when it comes to real life is that when you start stuff me and query uh uh uh, my other co-founder of Boss Rush, we've talked to people who are wanting to get into podcasting and stuff. And we were just like, you're not going to be perfect when you get st- when you start doing stuff. You have to learn. Uh, and over time, while learning, you become better at it. You're not supposed to, you're not going to knock anything out. Um, your first episodes, your first writing, your first game experience is going to be... Uh, uh, um, I want to say, uh, I can't, I want to say garbage, but I can't say, I can't say it's that. A learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a learning curve. It's going, it's not going to be good. Um, when you, uh, when you get into stuff, but when you stay there and you learn, you take the pros and you take the cons, you can, the cons will always help you than the pros. Uh, you know, and with games, uh, those cons of you not being a good player at something doesn't re- doesn't say that you're not good. It's just that you can work at this and become better and learn it. And once you learn it and you have that experience, then you can go off and teach others. Trust me, my writing <laughs> in the past is... Um, questionable content <laughs> it's very questionable content and because th- my my writing i didn't have an editor or anything you know my thing was just like i want to write this i want to put it out these are my thoughts and then i go back and look at it and just be like i got so many errors this line don't make no sense and mm-hmm. even sometimes when i try to edit my own stuff it's not good it's still not good but i was it was the first time doing it it was the first time talking about games for other people to see you know you got to start somewhere and when you start it's not always going to be good and i think with games is that when you start playing video games you're going to get better at it and when you're starting stuff in real life it's scary but if you work at it you'll be better at it so it seems like 
two, then video games, you know, much like real life gives you a chance to work and improve, but maybe there's a little element of safety with the ability mm-hmm. to experiment and get better in games. Whereas in real life, it, it feels a little bit scary sometimes. Yeah. Like I tell, I tell people that the reason why story and narrative and reading in games is supportive of our voice acting is that a lot of Americans have a problem reading. Mm-hmm. And when when it's hard for people to be like, well, I don't want to read this whole text thing. I'm like, no, this reading is helping you with your uh, proficiency. I think that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, your and your reading comprehension is that it's making you it's making you feel smarter. It's helping you to realize words that um, when you're speaking it, you just don't repeat the same thing over and over. You, it, your vocabulary grows mm-hmm. <laughs> than what you have at that time being. Um, a certain occupant in the White House is proof enough about that on how that how that vocabulary is so small that when you're playing something like Final Fantasy, when you're playing something um, like Devil May Cry or a game that has you do a lot of reading and stuff, you get to learn more. You get to be like, oh, that I never knew about this word. Uh, I think that's why I like playing a lot of Japanese games because there's a lot of Japanese that I don't know. And mm-hmm. if I can learn it, I, I maybe have a hard time pronouncing it, but if I can learn it and get the sounds and stuff, it helps me. Uh, and I think that's what some games can do for people. I think it's, that's a really great point, Ed. And I can definitely think about, you know, my own kids and and that their reading has improved dramatically from from playing games as well. <laughs> and I think even my own childhood, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to read the games to me, you know, then, you know, so I was like trying to figure that out myself. So, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good, good point to bring up. And as a teacher, I, I think that resonates with me as well. So. Um, thank you, Ed. Well, I, I want to move on to the next question, which I know is something you're passionate about as well with podcasting and, and being online. <clears throat> um, in the early years of video game culture in the United States, gaming was perceived largely as a white space. Uh, furthermore, white folks have been significantly overrepresented in terms of content producers, streamers, and media personality. Uh, with women, gender nonconforming, and people of color only recently seeing an increase in representation. Um, what pressures historically, uh, uh, excuse me, what, what pressures do people from historically marginalized groups face in the gaming community today? Have you experienced any of these pressures in your career as a content producer and in your lifelong participation of gaming culture? So uh, let me start with speaking about uh minorities you know you know nowadays um and any pressure a lot of people think that it's all about you know getting recognition you know having high numbers and if that's going to give you a deal or make you famous or something like that um i i think that's good for people who want to do who want to do that and who want to pursue that um i think sometimes a lot of that gets misrepresented that if you're going to do it, make sure that you're having fun, you know, mm-hmm. because if you're just doing this to be to get attention, 
you have to work so hard to keep that attention up. And it's not always guaranteed that you're going to get it. You know, I, I stream at some retro games and I stream some odd kind of games. Like, you know, I'm still playing Megman. I'm still playing Ikaruga from Treasure. I'm playing Castlevania and Contra and stuff and trying to show different things that, you know, you don't have to play one certain genre because what I love is interacting with people uh, and seeing them this is my game skill. Yes, I got died by a simple shot and everything. But guess what? I'm doing the game without the Konami code. I'm doing the game that's like literally not in anybody else's wheelhouse. That's very niche and stuff. And that's more important to me. Like, I, there's no stress or anything about that. I get to just do whatever I want to do. And I think a lot of minority streamers should kind of re- recognize that no, do this for fun, do this for fame. I mean, don't do this actually for fame. If your community grows and you strive that, make sure that you take do take time for yourself about it and uh, and stuff like that. Um, as for me personally, um, I for me personally. You know, I'm not a big streamer or anything like that. I love doing podcasts. I love creating content. And I love writing and putting my work out there. I love doing reviews. I, For some people, they feel like I uh, upset I, because of my, of my text and stuff. And I, when, I, when I heard this question and I was thinking about it, I was just like, all of this comes from uh, talking from the outside. Mm-hmm. Where everybody don't need to be on the same opinion and stuff. There's no challenge if, not saying that there's no disagreement, but there's no challenge if we all agree on the same thing and move on. If I can actually get you to say something that makes you think outside the box, my job is done. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, my, I, I looked up what an Aries is, and an Aries is about creating. And stuff, and so that's why I want to do so much and create so much is because I definitely for me being an Aries is that my content is just like I want to put out there, and if it get recognized, it does. If it doesn't, I'm still okay because it came from me and sure. everything. Let me let me ask you this, Ed. So Boss Rush Games has a, a motto or, or sort of a code of operation of be better and mm-hmm. know that. That's something Corey has said that he wants it to be a place where all people from all walks of life are welcome. Do you think that that's true at, at large in the gaming community? Is there room to grow there? And what makes Boss Rush Games so different in your in your experience? Um, the, the thing about the um, model of Be Better is that, yes, it is a thing that we are, we have done with so much toxicity and we're still fighting. And, you know, as gamers, we've been seen as different things from adults and from politicians and we're being seen different ways in our own community. And, you know, we forget what playing video games is about it's about fun it's about narrative it's about enjoying it and yes even if there is a bad game there's something there to talk about with other people and everything and here at boss bush we want to make sure that 
we respect everybody that we make people feel welcome that it's accepted yeah we can have a disagreement or anything but guess what the moment you put up a cookie recipe we're all going to the store to go buy it we're all going to be like oh yes and th- there's something about like yeah we might disagree about destiny but i i love the fact that you're playing destiny and that you're getting far. You know, being better is just like rooting people on, making sure that they are in a safe space, that they are accepted no matter where where they come from. If your sexual orientation, your race, um, your disability, whatever, you know, you have in life, we want to make sure that when you come to Barsworth Games, when you watch our content, that you're having fun, that you're part of the conversation, and that we will root you on and support you when we need to and stuff. Now, if you feel like that's not you or anything like that, or you don't like what we stand for and everything, there's way different avenues to go for to 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 find something and content that fits you you know we want to be able to provide that space um for it and like definitely for me i'm i'm a black bisexual gamer and everything who loves nintendo but who's been playing games for 35 some years Mm -hmm. and i've always been i've always been taught to love and respect everybody so when i when i'm on boss rush when i'm on any podcast that i'm on i make sure that i do that that i still respect and love people for like i said we could disagree about anything that we want to but the moment you put up a picture picture of a nacho or you talk about a book or you got an article or you created something i'm i'm doing my best to go there to make sure that i support it and show love to it because it's it's not a duty duty or anything. It kind of shows you what Boss Rush is about. Mm-hmm. L- let me ask you, Ed, and feel free to, to pass if it's not something you want to answer. But mm-hmm. I know that um, having worked with you for a while, I know that you're pretty open about all aspects of your identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that at a place like Boss Rush Games, um, it's a very welcoming and, and you know safe community. Um do you feel like that's true in the larger gaming community? Do, do you feel like um, do you feel like people are as well? I mean, I know you're pretty active on Twitter. Like, do do you feel like people are are welcoming in general? Um, do do we have some growing to do as a game <laughs> community in these ways? Um, it, it is it is growing. I think in a lot of communities, a lot of people are recognizing. Um, recognizing that there's so many different gamers out there and there's so many different avenues and if you just go there and it's a learning experience you got to learn why people from different walks of life love games and talk about it the way that it is the work that we need to do definitely with streamers is like the racial harassment that we got to deal with that some of us still got to deal with the sexism that we still got to deal with um the attention that um some people want uh because you know if if you could easily put somebody down and get a response from them of of you putting them down that's the attention that they want that's the stuff that they feed on and when you don't give them no food and you let them starve they would do anything and everything to get that one bit of attention and when you don't show it to them they just go all out and that's just like kind of showcases like you spend it i tell Corey this all the time when people spend 35 minutes to hate on something, it can't even spend five seconds to tell you something that they're like. 
their time is their time is being wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I can't be online. I could be online and disagree about things with other people. I could be like, uh, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto Five is some janky mess, but. <laughs> But like the numbers prove that people love that. I end up buying it. Like I, I, I tell people that if you're going to say something about someone or something, then try to do something better or try to do what they do. And if you don't have, if you can't do all of that, your words are meaningless. If you can't, if you cannot, if you cannot stream and be able to talk about good things and have a fun and safe space, then you kind of you going on to somebody else's stream or going on somebody else's page or content saying saying vile and disgusting things it just showcases that it to me it showcases that you can't create what i create mm. and my and my creation is is still on top because from one comment it's not going to be the 10 comments of great things that i get overshadows your one comment that you give that you just that you say so, um, I, I, I think definitely for me being open to who I am and everything, I welcome all, I welcome any and every comment because I want to have that dialogue with you. If you mm-hmm. don't like my stuff, let me know that you don't like my stuff, but make sure that you present it in a respectful manner where we can have a dialogue. Because if you just say your stuff is garbage or your stuff is this and that, that that's basic to me. That's low level basic. Like you really don't have a, a opinion you just shout on something and think that wins the argument no it doesn't not not to me i'd be like okay it's garbage can i see something that you write because if you can't write a piece that i write yeah. then you your 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 thing don't have no value like how like if you write about the last guardian and let me see if you got the same comments oh you can't even start a paragraph off then you don't have you your words don't really have no value to me. Now you can tell me why I'm wrong if you want to, and you done did it in a respectful manner. Okay, let's have that dialogue. Seems like you've developed the ability to block out the noise. It's not it's it's not so much developing um blocking out the noise. The, the thing is, if you're going to say something, if you're going to say something about my work, make sure that you have work to back it up that mm-hmm. I could look at. And see why why my work is the way that it is. Because if you don't have nothing under your belt, then then your like I said, your your comment is not valuable. Like I want to see you write something. I want to see you podcast sure. something. I want to see you draw something. Like if you're a person that only are in the comment section and can never do no work, your stuff doesn't matter at all. Always because we are out here making work. We are making content, and guess what? The moment you make your comment, and I'm moving on, and I'm on to a new piece to work, and I'm writing something. I'm creating a di- different podcast episode, and I'm having fun with the with the people who love to have fun. Well, let me switch gears a little bit and talk about um, game libraries, which is something I know that you <laughs> are passionate about. I think, and you've played just about every game ever published. Uh-huh. <laughs> So thinking over the massive library of games that you have played and enjoyed over the years, are there any games that spoke to your experience uh, as a black man in America or any games whose narrative touched you in a meaningful way in terms of representation and being a person of color? So uh, 
Okay, so with the representation part, the only thing I can say is Axel from She's a Rage. Because uh, he was kind of the first black protagonist that I have ever used in the game. It was always it was always just like a white person or Asian person or whatever. Uh, and I think when the custom creations came, uh, started happening in games, I was able to customize the character to fit, fit me and everything. Um, the games that actually touched me over the years that I played now, I, not everybody, I, like I said, I got 35 years of experience. So I have had, Majority of the Nintendo consoles, Sega consoles, Turbo Graphics, PlayStation, Xbox, Arcade, some PC stuff. I never touched the 3 Duo or CDI, but I know about them. So I have years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, for a modern sense of a game uh, that touched me, um, really is The Last Guardian. I keep bringing back to that. I call that. Um, uh, studio, that's Studio Japan. Um, I call that uh, Sony's Nintendo company. Uh, and I think what what touched me about it is just like this solid narrative of seeing these two people go on this journey and stuff. Um, to represent something that kind of represents me in a way is Final Fantasy IX with Vivi on how he was just looked at and how. Um, he kind of had self-esteem issue trying to find out where he belonged and everything. And that kind of was me uh, back in the day as a kid because of my skin color of my own race, making fun of my skin color in the way that I look. I always felt felt like, where do I fit in? What, what is my self-esteem and everything? Uh, and just seeing his journey and stuff and, and being like, when you actually recognize who you are and accept it, things change and kind of Vivi did that um uh, I was talking to you earlier about Link uh, a piece that uh that will probably be out by the time you guys see or hear this I was talking about Link being a hero and how that representation of model that you know you are Link you are in the Legend of Zelda you are Link who goes who has the courage to fight all of the stuff that is thrown at you you know Yes, it is a duty thing, but you know, you Link never backs down anything, and so Link to me is is that I have to have the courage to fight on to, you know, to for anything that comes at at me, I'm able to handle, you know, and if I can't handle it, like I said earlier, I learn from it so I could be better, and everything, and that's kind of what I. I, I, the Legend of Zelda series means a lot. I know it's part of the question, but just Link himself and thinking of that model kind of represents me that, you know, as a kid that I wasn't Link, you know, because I I was still trying to find myself. But now, as an adult, I am Link. You know, I am that hero. And when there's anything that comes on where I need to be the hero, I step up to the blade to be that hero. It's the... Well, let me ask you this then, Ed, um, and and definitely I want to talk more about Zelda here uh, with the next questions that are coming up, but um, you mentioned that there haven't been a lot of characters over the years that had, you know, were black protagonists. Mm -hmm. Um, Given that's been your experience, uh, and you've talked about, you know, the degree to which it was meaningful when you were able to play those characters, do, do you think it's important that, you know, kids can see themselves you know, in the characters in terms of what they look like, like how important is that? 
Um, do you think that's a direction that we're heading, you know, in terms of improvement? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's good that kids are able to play games that have different diversity in it that, you know, and it inspires them to be, lead them up into creators and form studios and be able to make the games that they want to make that they remember and stuff. Um, I, I think for me personally, it has always been the narrative. It has always been that good versus evil and everything. And when the narrative is so strong, because I am a, a bookhead, <laughs> you know, it was it was just like, yes, I am playing this character. They are making these actions. They do have these emotions and stuff. But it's this narrative that's driving it. This narrative that is connecting to me because it stands out and it means more. And if I ever need to go back to a game, it's, sometimes it is the gameplay. Sometimes it is the graphics. But it's that narrative that hits. It's that dialogue that they speak, or it's that line that they that that is written. It's that cutscene from Chrono Trigger or something that it's just like it's so emotional. You know, uh, the sacrifices that uh, characters are making stuff. Just there's something about that narrative that drives me, and I think a lot of people got to realize. Uh, I I had this I had this discussion. Sorry, jumping off topic. I had this discussion about God of War for PS4. That everybody's talking about, oh, the narrative is so good, and it's all this, and I love the story, and just, and to me, I'm like, narrative has already been here, but because it's a game that you like, you want to take notice. You never took notice of narrative way back in the day when you played games. It was always, it's a high score, or I just want to beat this game, and that's it. It's mm-hmm. never anything meaningful and stuff. Uh, a boy in this blob on Wii has a strong narrative. But because it's probably it's on the Wii and it's so cartoony and it's a remake, no one talks about it. They dismiss it. But mm-hmm. it's just like the same narrative that's in this game can be the same strong narrative that's in God of War and everything. And I think that's what's in as gamers, I think we need to take notice of that. And stuff. Yes, it's good to see our our diversity. It's good to see black and Hispanic or um, ex uh, Eskimo or wherever you come from, gay, lesbian. It's good to see all of that and everything in gays. But it's also good to recognize the narrative that's driving that character. Um, because if you don't take notice of that, then you're just playing a game with graphics and a 3D model or 2D model. Mm-hmm. So something we talk about when we host Nintendo Power Block together, uh, indie games. We talk about indie games mm-hmm. a lot. And it seems like, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this, it seems like indie games are providing a path forward to get both that narrative and that representation in a way yeah. that AAA games aren't. Would you agree with that? What do you, what do you think about that? Oh, oh, 100%. Indie games are the fresh fruit that we need while some triple A is the same microwave stuff that we want want to eat. You know, um, leave it to you to have a food analogy. Ed. <laughs> and yes, that is true. <laughs> the reason why is because I think a lot of triple A parties lose their sight of what made them 
that triple A company. You know, it was the weird games. It was the games that was, you know, polished that wasn't always annual, but always gave you something different and challenging, different IPs that could, if done well, could make you uh make that franchise grow longer, make people uh fans of that company's work now is uh, now it feels like everything from triple a has to be sh- such a showboat to sell you on what the game is and then when that wears off what do you have left where indies are just like we got this crazy idea and stuff and yes we may be asking you for 15 or 20 dollars to give it a try um but it's we think it's something that you would love, something that is going to be fresh to you and everything. And I think indies have be, have become imported than some of the triple A stuff. Um, they could coexist, yes, but like there's no triple A studio doing anything like Ree or Yoko Islands, uh, or something like that. There's no triple A doing stuff like uh. Evergate or doing um, uh, Iconoclast where they're talking about religion and stuff like that. There's not anything like AAA. AAA is just like, we're going to show you a cutscene, don't show you no gameplay, and because we are who we are and we make this particular game, you're going to buy it. And that's it. And that nowadays doesn't work and that actually could give you ire from the fans nowadays. Seems like you might be referencing a certain cyberpunk there, uh, but we'll, we'll leave well, that. You know what? But you know what? It's not to me personally. It's not even cyberpunk. It's a lot of it's. If you, for people who watched last year for Microsoft for Series X, a lot of people saw that stuff. That were just like this looks like stuff that's on current gen. It doesn't look like anything new. And so when stuff comes out on these new systems and they're not oppressive, it gets worse so to be like what are you selling me is it real or is it is it real or is it something to uh make your game look good so when i actually get it it's not what i expect in a sense you know well ed i got just a few questions left for you so um over the years the legend of zelda has slowly become more diverse in its inclusion of people from all walks of life a transformation that has matched the trajectory of the video game industry as a whole. Are there any specific ways which you wish the Legend of Zelda franchise could be more inclusive or diverse? To actually answer this question, I don't need think it needs to do anything. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because of the adventure when you're playing The Legend of Zelda. The series continues to evolve and tell different stories, use different graphics, bring in different gameplay stuff, different lore for people who who search out for that. And it's such a fantasy game uh, that there's nothing that needs to be included in, in it. Like... Yes, if they want to put in inclusion, they want to put in diversity and stuff like that, that's all good and daddy. My thing is, I want to pick up the controller and see what you guys have for me. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then I want to rant and rave about it with other Zelda fans and 
like and learn from what they played and what they experienced and everything and find out is this your final is this this your boss is this your weapon is this your dungeon is this a scary moment like what you think of the how they used to, like all of that matters more to me than diversity and inclusiveness it, it's weird i'm sorry to say that or anything but i have grown up with the legend of zelda series and it's always been like what are they going to bring me and i'm excited for what they are going to bring me they could keep uh legend of zelda 2 Majora's <laughs> max but even those games brought something where i'm like "Ooh, this is a sequel what do you guys have to offer mm-hmm. it did not make my judgment when i actually played those games all right. Uh, recently, you were nominated for a Podcaster of the Year Award, specifically for Best Hosts of Color. What are you most proud of in terms of your time hosting and your accomplishments over the years? Wow, this is a big question because I was just like, I was. <laughs> uh, but I took that such as an honor. Um, my podcasting over the years and stuff, you know, I, I, I was, I'm shocked you know that people love to hear what i have to say and everything um i i know i'm kind of different and everything and but it's it's something that i'm very proud of mm-hmm. um you know doing optional opinion for like seven plus some years um you're working with my other friends on a different uh network before i i came to boss rush and stuff and working with Corey is that podcasting means a lot to me and podcasting is you know a way for me to get my voice out there for people to hear and talk about stuff in the industry that we don't talk about come talk about answer give answers that normally you wouldn't expect anything um uh and what was that a question i'm sorry (laughs) Just uh, what you're most proud of accomplishing uh, during this time and what what stands out to you the most. Okay, so one of my proudest accomplishments is I got to actually talk to the developers of Yacht Club Games who made Shovel Knight. Like, literally got to talk to them and laugh with them. And we actually had a conversation of Mega Man and Castlevania and stuff. And they are such great guys who have a passion for games. It kind of felt like did you guys live in my neighborhood? Were you in my household? <laughs> because and, and that was such a big thing. Talking to Pierre Schneider from IGN was another great thing. Like, like that that's big to me. Talking to um, MC Fixer, uh, you know, with his with his content about Xbox. Talking to uh, I think one of my great accomplishments is kind of like, yeah, I get to talk to some big name people and everything. Um, but it's also just talking to different people around the world. Like I, I feel accomplished when I get to talk to um, people who love the podcast, who have their own content, or who want to try podcasting, and talking about different games, talking about Nintendo, PlayStation, PC, Xbox, talking about Zelda, talking about um, treasure games, or whatever they feel like they want to talk about. I that's a big accomplishment to me. It's being mm-hmm. able to talk to other people. You know, you got uh, my Nintendo Power Block co-host. I every time I get to talk to them, you know, it gets me hyped because I'm just like, yes, we get to do a show. Uh, we get to talk about random things and just it it feels like I'm talking to more of my family than my friends in a sense and I feel like that's a big accomplishment to me all right one of our last questions here uh Ed 
when you sit down and listen to podcasts, who do you like to listen to? Who do I like to listen to? Wow. Uh, so I do like to listen to, uh, there's a podcast called How Did This Get Made uh, with Paul Schneer, uh, Paul Shear, uh and his crew. They talk about uh, bad movies and stuff like that in this comedy podcast. Um, listen to Bitch Sesh um, for it. Uh, let's talk about all things the real Housewives. Even though I don't watch Housewives, it's that comedy aspect about it. Um, I, I still listen to IGN and uh, Game Informer podcasts and stuff. Um, and just other other gaming podcasts. Uh, but like the comedy stuff I love to get love to listen to. And also uh, another podcast, How Did This Get Played and stuff. Um, I like to listen to um, Xbox Expansion Pass uh, with uh, Insider Ghost. Uh, I love to hear his uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> he gets on me sometimes because I send him. I sent him. He, he called it Nintendo related questions for an Xbox <laughs> podcast, but I'm just like, no. I, I just like to. I love to pick uh, his brain, Luke Lore. I love to pick his brain. Even the guys at uh, Xbox Drive uh, co-op mode. I listen to uh, with Todd Oxford and the the Canardian. Like I listen to them, like some of our friends and stuff. But I'm also going out and listening to other people, um, podcasts and stuff. Uh, uh, so, um, but yeah, like how did this get made in bitch session? I like my top ones. I like comedy stuff. Awesome. Uh, any final thoughts or anything you wish to share as we wrap things up? Um, thank you. First of all, thank you for this opportunity <laughs> to speak. Uh, I I think definitely for Black History Month, um, it, it's a good celebration to for us to learn not only about video games from black creators or content from black creators but kind of going out and finding games that have black developers involved and mm-hmm. stuff and highlighting highlighting them and talking about it and stuff or even seeing what they said about games that they grew up with and everything um it, it's all i always say that um Nintendo is like my lifesaver in the mm. sense when it comes to games because it made me a gamer uh, and everything and I think it made a lot of people a lot of gamers and uh, like I think for this month if there's other black creators who feel like Nintendo is you know started them on their journey and stuff I think like go research them and everything definitely when we got black streamers out now I think go ahead and go support them and stuff. Like Black History Month, yes, we could learn about the past, um, but let's also learn about the present and see how it leads to our future. Oh, that's beautiful. I like that, Ed. Um, where can people find you? So you guys can find me on Twitter at that retro code. You can find me also on uh, Twitch at that retro code. You can find uh, optional opinion on SoundCloud. You can check me out on World One One Podcast, and of course at BossRichGames.com. I host Nintendo Podblock and on other various podcasts. Um, recap, talk the walk, and stuff like that. And if you guys wanted my Switch code and everything, just uh, check out my Twitter page. My number is there. Um, also with my Xbox live and bss stuff um yeah and uh hopefully you guys will check out in march because um by the time you guys hear this we will be having a month discussion of the legend of zelda the um, the gays so uh, 
Well, um, I'm David Lasby. I, this is uh, you can you can find me at David Lasby on Twitter, and also this is um, our collaboration between Boss Rush Games and ZeldaDungeon.net, both places that I help contribute. So we appreciate everybody listening and reading today. And Ed, thanks for making this happen. Thank you for having me. All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Uh-huh.